in this episode, I want to start from the beginning. As a 41-year-old woman who's, you know, in the last few years really discovered the importance of oral health and the things that I need to do now to undo the way that I was treated at the dentist, you know, my parents thought that's that's what we did. We had a great dentist. How would we start from day one? So like brand new baby is born and we want to build the perfect oral health in this baby. What does that look like from you know, breastfed, supplementation, first foods, not best first foods, all those things in the early stages of life, even before the teeth come. Yeah. So literally day one, there's something to look for. And that is this episode is so full of incredible information. I sat down again with Dr. Michelle Jorgensen. She is a biological dentist and I love picking this woman's brain. So if you haven't already, be sure you tap into our previous episode where Michelle shared a lot of her story how she got into biological dentistry. She was a traditional dentist and uh, basically had some health challenges that she didn't realize were being caused by things that she was actually recommending to patients. In this episode, we answered a lot of the questions that stemmed from our last interview. This was one of our most watched episodes and had the most questions and comments. So we sat down, took those to a deeper level. I also asked her, how do we create the perfect mouth? from the time a baby is first born. So we touched on some of the best tools and tips for prevention, um, things that you can put in your diet, in your mouth that will help strengthen your teeth and prevent cavities and God forbid root canals and other challenges along the way. You're gonna love this one, enjoy. Welcome back Dr. Michelle to the show. Thank you. So excited to be here again. Yes, we had an incredible interview not long ago. It was one of um, the interviews we got the most questions from, and so I'm doing a second round. We're going to answer all the questions that came up in the first one, and we're going to take some of the topics a step further. So, Michelle, thanks again for being here with me. Thank you for the opportunity. All right, so we covered a lot of great topics. I definitely encourage you guys to go back to that episode. We're going to link it in the show notes. You know, we're now all coming to a greater understanding that our oral health really plays such a major role in our overall health whether it's, you know, um, autoimmune conditions or heavy metal toxicity. Um, A lot of the things that so many people experience from brain fog to joint pain, these things that we just think are a normal part of aging, well, oral health and looking into what's going on in our mouths and how we can impact that can make such uh, uh, impact in our overall well-being and how we feel day to day. I want to just touch briefly Dr. Michelle, on your story and how you got where you are now before we delve into some of these new topics. Yeah, and I know that um, they can listen to the longer version, so I'll give you a shorter version on this on this one. Um, but basically, the short version was I got really sick from drilling out mercury fillings. And the dental profession in general doesn't know that that's even a concern or that could even happen. And so I didn't either. Had to find out kind of the long way around from actually having my practice for sale had to find out that this was mercury. And so I had to completely change the way I practice if I was going to continue to practice. And that's where I found a lot of the answers in regards to the health implications of these metals and mercury and everything like that. It's also what really started me on this path to finding other answers to things that I didn't even know to ask. You know, a lot of the things that we discussed last time regarding How do you prevent cavities and how do you regrow teeth, you know, heal teeth and how do you, you know, avoid fluoride and just all of the things that I've learned have been simply because there was a question that I didn't know the answer to. And so I had to start to to go find the answer. And uh, that's now what I love to share with other people. 
And thank you. You know, I think when these things happen for us, it becomes such a part of our story. And if we're willing to go in, it becomes such an opportunity to not only heal ourselves, but so many others. And going in isn't always easy, especially I imagine when you did a 180 for most of the people in your profession. Yeah. Which can be really brave. You went against everything that you were taught and everything that you knew. And I imagine that was like not an easy thing to discover. Yeah, definitely. You know, what was most, I think the most disconcerting about all of it is that I just didn't know it. You know, I, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like feeling like I was, you know, the top of my field and I was doing everything, you know, all the education, everything. And I knew nothing about any of this. That's really disconcerting to know that there's so much potentially out there that we aren't aware of, even as professionals. People will often say, well, why, don't my den- my, why doesn't my dentist talk to me about this? Well, the honest truth is they don't know. They don't know. Mm-hmm. So now it's your opportunity to be able to share with them some of the things you've learned so that hopefully they can change and learn as well. Thank you for saying that because I think it helps us understand why this information can be overwhelming. I know from our last interview together too, it, you know, some of these topics can be triggering for people if they're not ready to hear these, this information and or if there's things that they've been doing that they think are beneficial for their health and come to find out that they're not, you know, especially as a mom, like we touched on Florida and I know we're going to get into that. And, you know, if we're giving this to our kids and then later we found out maybe it's not the best thing, you know, the information that we're sharing isn't here to cause any mom guilt. Um, I think when we know better, we can do better. And so this is just an opportunity to take from this episode, what you're ready to hear, do some research on your own. Information is out there. You may have to dig a little bit, but, but know that you and your family's health are worth looking at the complete other direction, doing some digging, and then make your decision what works best for you. Yep. All right. So I know we're going to talk about all those things, fluoride, mercury. We're going to talk about toothpaste, natural toothpaste. There are things that were in every single tube of my toothpaste that we discussed. And I was thinking I was buying the best of the best toothpaste out there. And little did I know that I was blocking all the good stuff from getting in my and my family's teeth. So make sure you guys listen to the full episode. We'll be sure to give you all that information. And I really, in this episode, I want to start from the beginning. So as a 41-year-old woman who's, you know, in the last few years really discovered the importance of oral health and the things that I need to do now to undo the way that I was treated at the dentist, you know, my parents thought that's, that's what we did. We had a great dentist. How would we start from day one? So like brand new baby is born and we want to build the perfect oral health in this baby. What does that look like from you know, breastfed, supplementation, first foods, not best first foods, all those things in the early stages of life, even before the teeth come. Yeah. So literally day one, there's something to look for. And that is a tongue tie. Um, People don't even really understand the reason or what a tongue tie is. First of all, it's the connection underneath your tongue. So if you lift up your tongue, you'll see that there's a connection underneath there. That's a tongue tie. There's also lip ties. That's underneath the lip up here. And that restricts the movement of the lips and the tongue. Well, if you think about a a feeding child, whether it's breastfed or bottle fed, it doesn't matter. That child has to actually latch onto that breast or bottle. That requires the tongue to be able to come up underneath that breast or bottle and the lips to be able to go on top of it. 
if there's restriction in the muscles and movement of the lip or the tongue, the baby can't actually do that properly. So what ends up happening is the bottle has to be positioned or the breast has to be positioned forward. These are the babies that mamas struggle with. You know, they say, I just cannot get my baby to latch. I can't get him to get enough nutrition. They're the moms who are crying and frustrated and babies crying and frustrated and things are sore and, you know, it's often because of the tongue type. And here's something that's actually shocking, was shocking to me. I talked with lactation consultants. They came and they visited us here in our office. And one of them who is a senior consultant, she's probably been doing this for upwards of 30 years. She was fired from her job at the local hospital, which is the huge hospital chain here in Utah. Not a little teeny one, it's the huge one. She was fired because she mentioned that a tongue tie may be something the mom should look into. The hospital and the entire hospital network does not recognize the existence of a tongue tie. Why? Exactly. That's what I said. Because I guess they don't fix it. They don't do anything about it. So I guess you don't talk about things that you don't actually treat. I don't know, but she was literally fired. So this I got, this is not a third person for, you know, this is a first person account that I got from this lactation consultant. She was fired for mentioning to a, for a, to a mama that maybe a tongue tie could be a problem. So now she does not work at the hospital anymore. She works independently. And this is the first thing that they're looking for if moms are struggling to have a baby that's nursing properly is the tongue tie and the lip tie. Now it goes further. Baby's struggling to eat. So they have to position the bottle of the nipple further forward. The tongue position pressure, the pressure against the roof of the mouth as the baby sucks against that nipple or bottle actually creates the curvature of the, of the top jaw. So if the baby is not latching properly and not sucking properly, the top jaw does not form properly. And from literal day one, you have a baby that's not getting as much air as they need. This will show up as focus issues, growth issues. They don't grow as well. It'll show up as prolonged bedwetting in children. It'll show up as big time ADHD issues in children. This all starts from day one. <laughs> so, yeah. And, you know, we talk about like, I'm so glad this is a conversation getting more common. There's so much care and support for women when they're pregnant, right? Like someone mm -hmm. will get up and give you their bus seat, people open the door and then you have a baby and you need that support and it's gone. And so you think about these women who have difficulty latching they're going through so many emotions, lack of sleep. And we need to be having the conversation that there's things that could be contributing to difficulty in your baby eating, could cause gas in your baby. So where do women typically, in your opinion, in your profession, where are people getting the support to understand if there's a, a tongue tie and what to do if there is? That's typically going to be found by a lactation consultant. And I know if you're birthing in the hospital, if you're birthing in birth centers, typically there will be a lactation consultant that you will meet with before the visit's done. However, like I said, lactation consultants aren't in the hospital aren't allowed to do this. So if you are struggling, there are independent lactation consultants that you can reach out to. You can reach out to your pediatrician, but often they are not also identifying this problem. Lactation consultants are really the ones that are going to find this. Lactation consultants out of the typical hospital network. So that's where I would recommend to go. And then what do you do? You can get these tongue and lip tie releases done two, three days after birth. And it's preferable actually earlier. The reason it's preferable is, first of all, you want to be able to have improvement in the latching and the feeding. But second, the earlier it is, the easier that procedure is to heal from, the, the easier it is to perform on the infant. I mean, once they're getting six months old, even a year old, they're, 
there's just no way we're going to be able to do it without sedation. And I don't want to do any sedation on a, on a baby this size. So we, pre we prefer it within the first couple of weeks of life as that's when you're going to do those tongue and lip tie releases. I went with my nephew, uh, my sister-in-law had, you know, her, her son's done and it was quick and he latched on right after. And, you know, exactly. it, I mean, I can't say that it wasn't painful. I'm not him, but sure. it wasn't as hard as I think we thought it would be to be, you know, there seeing him. Have you yep. heard, this is interesting. I want to get your take on this. So tongue ties, lip ties getting so much more common. There's information that I had heard because as a chiropractor, I, I would be working on a lot of these children doing craniosacral, helping with the latch, working with the lactation consultants, because a lot of these babies also have dural tension. And one of the theories I heard in one of my classes is that it's synthetic folic acid that's contributing to these midline deficits. And if we have a methylated version of folic acid, we won't see so much. So just going back, folic acid is something that we're all recommended to take in pregnancy for the listeners. And that's to help, you know, prevent like the spina bifidas and things like that. But we can either take a synthetic version, like a synthetic vitamin of take version, or we can take the methylated version. And it's really interesting because when I would ask my patients, um, the ones that had, you know, their tongue ties, lip ties, if I wasn't working with them in pregnancy, often they were on synthetic versions of folic acid. Yep. And you don't realize that until you look, it's, it's in most prenatal vitamins. So people are doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're doing what they've been recommended, take prenatal vitamins. You need to actually look at the folate that's in the prenatal vitamin. And when you're saying midline deficiencies, basically what that is, is it's the tongue and the lip tie are on the middle of the body. So is the spine. So spina bifida is something that we're trying to prevent by taking folic acid in pregnancy. Well, that's in the middle. So is the lip and, you know, the tongue and the lip tie. These are all in the middle of the face, in the middle of the body, all the way down. You talk about dural tension, meaning basically the tightness of on the brainstem itself. It's all related to this tie. So it's all very related to folic acid. So yes, methylated versions, which methylation just basically has a tag on it that tells the body what to do with it. So it's just pre-tagged. I, I like to think of it, it already has its UPC code on it. So when the body gets it, it's like, ah. I don't know what to do with that one. All right, the code's already there. It doesn't have to try to figure it out and find it in the system and try to figure out what to do with it. So yeah, okay. very good. So moving on from lip ties, tongue ties, what do you do if you can't breastfeed your baby? Breastfeeding is always the best, but I adopted two babies. I couldn't breastfeed those babies, you know? So I, I'm the last one that's ever gonna guilt any mom into breastfeeding a baby because I couldn't. I couldn't do it. And there's sometimes reasons that you just can't. Mm -hmm. So um, there are things that you can use that replicate the breast as much as possible. So that's basically my recommendation. If you can't, is do it as much as possible. And do not, the sippy cup is actually the least breast-like thing you can put in a mouth. So I really don't recommend sippy cups ever. Like if you, once you go from bottle or breast, go to a cup just a regular old cup. Babies need to learn how to do it. There are some that have a straw on it and those are a little bit better, but the shape of the sippy cup actually is really constricting. Like the baby has to kind of make a really narrow mouth shape to be able to use the sippy cup. And it mm -hmm. actually really creates a lot of structural issues in the face and in growth and development. So I don't really recommend sippy cups at all. I like ones that have kind of a straw on the end or you just use a regular old cup. You know, put a lid on it, but take the lid off and have them drink out of the, out of the regular cup. And that's really gonna help pacifier use as another one. A lot of moms struggle with this, you know. Pacifiers also create a very narrow, if you look at the difference in the, the shape of a pacifier versus the shape of a breast. And I know sometimes you can get ones that are a little bit larger, but 
you really have to think about how long are you going to want to do that because it is shaping the growth and development of that mouth. And I know I'm talking to people who are like, I don't really care. I need to sleep. You know, I get it. I've been there a hundred percent. I've totally been there. Um, but just be conscious of it. Just be aware of it because it does change the shape of the mouth when you're using it. So that's day one growth and development. You know, what are we looking for? How do we, how do we try to create good growth? It's with a lot of upward pressure of the tongue in the right position against the roof of the mouth with the correct latch. Then how do we take care of those teeth? Well, there's no teeth to begin with, but that, that doesn't matter. I want your mouth. I want your hands in their mouth because if you are introducing your hands and cleaning to the mouth, the baby's going to become accustomed to this. So what I recommend is a warm washcloth, just like one of those baby, you know, super soft baby washcloths, just put warm water on it and you're going to use it on your index finger and you're just going to rub the gums. And again, you're not really cleaning a ton here but you're getting them used to you putting your hands in their mouth. You're also going to feel as soon as you got a tooth popping up, right? Because you're going to feel it. If you're doing this every single day, you're going to be feeling it. So at first, when those first teeth come in, you're going to continue cleaning it the same way. Soft washcloth, warm water. You're just going to rub and clean it like that. Because the idea is that they're just getting really accustomed to you putting your fingers in their mouth. You're, they're getting accustomed to this is a place that mom can go, dad can go, whatever. And that's, that's okay. Once they get about four teeth touching each other is when I recommend starting to do a toothbrush. Now, do you need to use toothpaste on that? Not necessarily. Again, kind of warm water on that toothbrush, super soft, super small toothbrush, and you're just going to gently clean is all you're doing. You're just gently cleaning those teeth, again, getting them accustomed to it. If they freak out, there's a special hold. <laughs> and this goes for all the way through five years old. Basically, you set the child on your lap, you tuck their right arm behind your the, the, your left side, so that that arm's now trapped. Moms, we know how to do this, you know. <laughs> that arm's trapped behind you. You're holding their head with your hand, and then this hand is doing the brushing, doing the cleaning. So you're holding them in the crook of your arm right here. Head goes here. Arms trapped. You've got their head, and you're tipping it back. If they scream. Well, it gives you better access. <laughs> so people will say, people will say, oh, but I don't want to make them mad. They're going to, they're not screaming because you're hurting them. They're screaming because they have their independence and they're just mad about it. But you're going to be brushing their teeth for like six years. So they need to get used to you doing it. It's worth doing it because you are going to clean their teeth better than they will. So as you continue on, when do you introduce, you know, toothpaste or tooth powder? I recommend just my tooth powder. I recommend that when they start getting molars because you're going to want to get minerals in there. So you put just a little dab of tooth powder on that soft toothbrush. You're going to just rub on the top sides of those teeth. Again, just you're getting them used to it. You're getting it cleaned. And then by the time they get teeth that are molars that are touching is when you want to start looking at doing some sort of a flosser. And the best kind is a floss holder where it's not, you're not putting your fingers down in there. You've got a little, you know, a little tool that's holding the floss and going in between there. You're doing all of this. When they have enough dexterity to use a knife and fork efficiently is when they have enough dexterity to clean their teeth correctly. So how old do you think that is? How old do you think kids are when they can use a knife and fork? <laughs> I mean, our kids have eaten with their hands for so long. <laughs> <laughs> and I think there's something, I don't know, I'm, I'm good with it, but um, I would say typical kids probably, I want to say like 10. Yeah, 8, 10, somewhere in there. So yeah. until that time, I mean, at some point they're going to want to brush their teeth and you want to help them. So until they can use a knife and fork, I mean, that's just basically kind of a dexterity guide. Until they have that kind of dexterity, they're writing their name by themselves. They're, you know, all those things. 
until that time, you are going to do the brushing for them twice a day or at least once a day. So I always tell kiddos, mom or dad gets it in the morning or night, you decide which one it is and you do it the other one and let the kid have control over that. They don't get to decide whether you do it or not. They get to decide which time you get to do it or not. So you I tell like us that. morning or night, which one's mom and dad going to do morning. Okay, great. Mom's going to do morning. You're going to do nighttime, you know, and that way they are in control of this, but they don't get a choice of the things we don't want them to have a choice of. And this is two reasons. You are going to clean better than they will. You know, typically they get them thing in there and then they're not really cleaning. So you're going to clean better than they will, but you're also going to be looking in their mouth. And I, it's a little heartbreaking. Sometimes we'll have moms bring kids in and we'll say they have like, 10 cavities. And mom's like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? So we've got the kid back, you know, we'll have them say, open your mouth. Let's show mom. And they look in there. They're like, oh my gosh, they have these big black holes in their teeth. They've never actually looked in their child's mouth before. So if they had been looking in their mouth, they would have seen these when they were much smaller and easier to treat. So this is an opportunity for you to be looking in that mouth and making sure it's clean at least once a day. That makes so much sense. And I love giving them the choice. I just think, you know, it's such an intimate area and consent is so important, you know, for some yep. people more than others. And so giving them that sense of security and control, but also doing what we need to do to make sure that their their teeth are doing what they're supposed to. Yep. Okay. So, you know, you brought up um, black holes and beginnings of cavities. Can we kind of segue into that? Like, what do we do if we see these things in our kids' teeth? So ideally, you're going to try to prevent them as much as possible. That's going to be through two different avenues, obviously cleaning, but also nutrition. So the first is cleaning. We've touched on that, but definitely you're going to want to use a hydroxyapatite formula. So I have a hydroxyapatite tooth powder and just literally releasing in two days a mouth rinse. We have a kid's version of that as well. They both have hydroxyapatite, which is the mineral the teeth are made of. I'm here to interrupt this podcast to tell you I'm so excited. The mouthwashes that Dr. Michelle and I were just discussing are now out and available. Uh, we grabbed some for our family about a week ago, and I absolutely love them. Got the citrus one for the kids and the mint one for Jason and I. I feel like they just give us a little bit of extra insurance, uh, especially for our kids if they're not brushing the way that they should every night. There's um, all pure ingredients. They're safe to swallow, which is so important for our kiddos. There's no fluoride, no harmful ingredients, no dyes. There's essential oil. Um, there's some silver in there, which helps kill off only the bad bacteria in the mouth. Great for the oral microbiome and so much more. So you can check my links below, grab yours, and also check out some of the other products by Dr. Michelle that I use and love. So if you're catching up, if you haven't, you know, if you don't have an infant and you're not starting from square one, if you're catching up now, you can start adding these things now along with minerals. There's a mineral that I love that's from a company called Mother Earth Labs. And I joke that it's dirt water. It's just kind of brown water. And it literally is the minerals from the earth. It doesn't taste like much. Kids take it easily. So if you're starting to see cavities at all, if you're seeing a, a, something threatening, hit the minerals heavy. You've got to get minerals into their teeth, but into their body as well. But get to the dentist. Because baby teeth, the enamel is so thin that a cavity will progress from the starting point to nearly the nerve in six months time. It moves so quickly because the, the, two, the enamel that we have is meant to last our whole lives, but the enamel that they have is only meant to last until they're like 12. And it's very, very thin. So they don't have a lot of defense. 
The cavity moves quickly through the enamel into the softer layer on the inside and quickly to the nerve of the tooth. So get them into the dentist as soon as you see something. Hopefully it's easily and quickly treated at that point and not going to be something extensive. But that's something people don't realize is that because the, they'll say, oh, it's in a baby tooth. I'm just going to wait. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's the exact opposite thing. It's in a baby tooth. Get them there now because hopefully we can stop it from progressing. Otherwise, they're going to lose that tooth long before you, it's supposed to come out. And there's issues. If you lose a tooth before it's supposed to come out, what happens is that tooth's holding the space for the permanent tooth that should come in. So if that tooth comes out prematurely and the permanent tooth's not there ready to come in, the other teeth on each side kind of collapse into the space. So when the permanent tooth's supposed to come in, there's no more room for it. So now we have to do space maintainers and orthodontics and all kinds of things to actually make room for those teeth to come in. Okay. Oh my God. So many good topics. I want to just go back and touch on a couple of things. So you mentioned your tooth powder, which I'm a huge fan of this tooth powder. Anyone who saw the last episode, I mean, I got so many questions and we saw questions together on the um, comments, like what brand can I use? I literally haven't found anything that comes close to the powder that you make. So the two things you touched on on our last episode, again, you guys go watch it. So good. Um, you've got to have hydroxy appetite. That's what the teeth are made of. We got to put that back in. The one important thing, this is so huge, that blocks the minerals from getting in that I literally found in every single product that we had bought, thinking it was the best of the best product, glycerin. Glycerin yep. is in every toothpaste I've ever found. It literally, you said in the last episode, it makes teeth shiny, it makes them smooth, they feel clean, you can't get the minerals in. So your powder, your powder is so huge. The kid version we love. Um, I've shared that, you know, my daughter who's six is a little sensitive to taste. I just mix it in a little bit with some other stuff. Um, her other toothpaste, it's, I'm just trying to get her used to it. Her other yep. toothpaste doesn't have glycerin, but I'm like, okay, yep. let me just get her used to this flavor. Then you talked about, um, if there is a cavity, you guys work to prevent it at the dentist's office. So I'm curious, are there certain products that you guys use there that we can have access to at home or that we can't have access to at home? Like, what do you do in the office that helps prevent this cavity from growing? Good question. So hydroxyapatite is the biggest one to do at home. So the other thing that we do is we use a hydroxyapatite varnish. And it's just a hydroxyapatite material that sticks to the tooth a little better. We actually formulate, I formulated this, we make it ourselves because there wasn't a product that was a replacement for the, the fluoride treatments that people get in the dental office. And the purpose of that is to give it kind of a super dose of strengthening. Well, I wanted to be able to do that for patients, but I didn't want the fluoride. So we've created a hydroxyapatite varnish that just seeps deep into those crevices in the teeth and really helps to strengthen. But the other thing that we do is ozone. Very, very interesting. So ozone is, an, is a broad spectrum antimicrobial. What that means is it's going to kill any bug. Well, tooth decay is bacterial. People don't realize that it's an infection. It's bacterial infection inside of your tooth. So we want to kill the bugs. So we actually use ozone on the starting cavities, the ones that are just barely starting. We will use this ozone in a gas. So it just kind of sprays this gas on top of the tooth. And that literally kills all the bugs. And then we put that hydroxyapatite varnish over it. And we've stopped decay right there. Our dentist we go to here in Miami, he sent home some, it's like a gel of ozone. Perfect. Is that similar? So is the idea to put that on the cavity, like Kaya, yep. my girl has the beginnings of something. Yep. So do you put that on every day? Do you brush after? Yeah, you can put it on every day. And really what you're killing is bugs. So the ideal thing is to brush and then to put some hydroxyapatite right there. Like that, you know, powder just sticks some like right into those 
wherever you've applied it. A lot of times ozone tastes terrible. So like really, really terrible. I don't know why it tastes so terrible, but it tastes really, really terrible. So you can get it as an ozone oil. You can get it as an ozone gel. There's a few different ways, but just be aware it's going to taste bad. So it's probably good to stick some of the the tooth powder on top of that because then you're going to get a little mint or a little, you know, a little citrus, a little something flavor in there because the ozone tastes bad. Mm-hmm. It smells like a pool. I can like smell it yeah. when it's open. I mean, it's disinfectant. It's just a disinfectant. So it's just killing bugs. What about iodine? I've heard of liquid iodine. Do you know anything about that? Well, obviously do, but what is that for? And why do people use that on their teeth? So iodine is also an antimicrobial. This is why they put it over a surgical site before they do surgery. You know, they paint that yellow stuff on your skin. That's iodine. It's going to kill bugs on the surface. The problem with iodine is that it's actually really hard to titrate the amount. So it may be also killing the good bugs in your mouth because it's going to spread wherever it's going to go. And so it might be killing the good bugs as well as the bad bugs. And it tastes really bad too. It's also a taste bad kind of thing. (laughs) So I don't love iodine. It's just a little too uncontrolled, if that makes sense. It's just going to do everything. I prefer ozone, but iodine, I mean, you could do it at home. You could use a little Q-tip and just paint a little bit right on top of that tooth. Then I would put the tooth powder right on top of that. So you're killing bugs and then you're filling them back in again, filling the holes back in again. Okay. And is the hydroxyapatite surfactant that you use in the office, is that something that you're going to have on your website as well? Or we just use the tooth powder with the hydroxyapatite over? Use the tooth powder with the hydroxyapatite. Just use a little bit of that powder. You can even put it with a little bit of water to make a paste and then just rub it right into that spot. Okay. And I haven't seen ozone yet on your website. Is there somewhere that our listeners can find it? Like if I email you and we get a link, we could put it in the show yep. notes. Good question. Okay. The the best place that I found is called ozone oils. Okay. So ozoneoils.com. I think it's a dot com. And that's mm-hmm. um yeah, it's a nice place to get ozone. Okay. So then moving on to, you know, I'm curious about the dental schedule for cleanings. Like if we chose to come and bring our kids more frequently than every six months, would that also help with prevention? Or is the six month, like why is the checkup recommended every six months? What's the magic behind that? Yeah, it's really actually interesting. That was invented or created by insurance companies, not by dentists. Same with chiropractic is like so similar. Any of the, you know, wellness checks around the vaccination schedule. Yeah, there's no clinical reasons behind it. It's all based on insurance and accounting and what everything else. So, you know, it's kind of the thing that we've set in on If people have gum disease, if they are more prone to tooth decay, we will see you every three to four months. Six months is not a bad thing, but remember I said a cavity in a baby tooth will go from the start to the nerve in six months time. So that's really the minimum, like our maximum length of time you should go. You should be seen every six months, especially for kiddos. Now, sometimes people will say, well, my kids never get cavities. Do I still need to keep coming every six months? You know, what's the use in that? While they have baby teeth, I'm going to say yes, because a cavity can go from nothing to nerve in six months' time. If once you've started to get adult teeth, we sometimes can stretch that interval a little bit more if things are stable, meaning you have not had a cavity in like three years. We've seen nothing. Gums are meticulous, perfect. Everything's great. We may be able to stretch it a little further, but with kids, I just wouldn't risk it. Okay. So kid has a cavity and it's touching on the nerve what why does that matter like she so she's going to lose the tooth anyway why does that matter if i brought her to you her tooth isn't wiggly yet but it's maybe one in the front she's six years old it's going to come out soon why does it matter so the issue is that space thing so if the tooth comes out and the permanent tooth's not ready to come in below the teeth on either side are going to collapse into that space 
So what we do is we do some sort of space maintenance. We can do uh, retainers that look like Invisalign that they can wear. But again, do you really want to manage that in a six-year-old? You know, it's like, what a pain. They take them out, they throw them away. You know, I mean, it's just like, we have metal versions, but I don't like to do metal anything. It's stainless steel. So it's a lot like, you know, braces. But again, I don't like to do metal anything. I would prefer to keep that tooth in the head until it's supposed to come out on its own. So what do we do? And that's always the next question. What do you do if the cavity is already to that point? You know, what options do you have? We also use that same ozone to treat the deepest part of the cavity without uncovering the nerve. Basically, the way the, the tooth works, especially baby teeth, is once that nerve has been exposed, it's going. There's no saving it at that point. So they will use something called a pulpotomy, which is like a baby tooth root canal, or a pulpectomy, which is even more of a baby tooth root canal. In my experience, I found that those often fail. And when they fail, what that leaves is just a chronic area of infection in the mouth. And it's, they fail even more frequently than I see permanent teeth root canals, just because of the way a baby tooth's made. It's not really meant to kind of do this on it. And yeah. so if a tooth, if the cavity is to the nerve, we try to treat it with ozone first. We treat it with ozone. It kills the deepest nerve. We don't have to uncover the nerve. It's killed the deepest decay. We don't have to uncover the nerve and we fill over top of it. That's the best case scenario. If it's already to the nerve at that point, it's remove it or the baby tooth root canal. And everyone always talks about doing silver crowns on kids. This is a big topic. So if the tooth has had the decay spread far enough, and like I said, it's spread so fast in these baby teeth. If it's spread so far that it's already to the nerve and it's already destroyed quite a bit of the tooth, then a, a crown on the tooth is usually recommended. Now, these teeth are going to come out. So we don't do the same kind of a crown that we do on a permanent tooth. We don't do one where we take a mold of it, we send it to a lab, and they make it custom for the tooth. That's not what we do on baby teeth. We have prefab crowns, basically. You look at the tooth and you figure out the size it should be, and these things kind of like snap down over the edges and stay on until the tooth's going to come out. So it used to be that the only version of that was a stainless steel crown. Now we actually have zirconia versions of those as well. So we can do completely zirconia crowns if need be on these teeth. So if you have a five-year-old, a four-year-old, and we see this sometimes, where there are cavities to the nerve on every single molar, we will treat them with ozone, and then we'll, we will do these zirconia crowns in the hopes that that's going to buy us four years, five years, you know, hopefully get us enough time until those teeth are going to come out naturally. But it's sometimes a hard, de hard decision. You know, it's a hard decision to know what to do because usually in these situations, you're having to do it with sedation. The child is not, you know, it's just too much to ask them to lay there and open their mouth and get shots in their mouth. I mean, this is too much. There's no way they're going to do it. So we, we do it with sedation. I actually prefer sedation and I recommend sedation to, to parents because we're able to work so much more quickly and the experience is there's no memory of it. So the last thing I want to do is create a whole generation of dental phobics. You know, the parents that come in and say, I'm so scared of the dentist because of what happened when I was a kid. Exactly. So I don't want to create those. I don't want to create those dental phobics. So that's why sedation is actually a positive thing. If it's done correctly and safely with an anesthetist, we have an anesthetist that comes and they just do the sedation and the dentist just does the dentistry. The dentist isn't worrying about both parts. So that's important to know too. Make sure that there's an anesthetist, a separate person there that's doing the sedation for the child. And these are hard decisions. These are hard decisions. Yeah.
Yeah, they definitely are. Thank you. This is so helpful. Um, just going back to preventative health for kids, what's your thoughts on sealants? Yep. So what a sealant is, is if you think about your molars, there's, I, I like to think of it like a mountain, you know, there's lots of hills and valleys in this, in the top side of a, of a molar. That's the most common place that a cavity is developed in any mouth. Adult, baby, doesn't matter where it is. That's the most common place to get a cavity because those crevices collect plaque. So what a sealant is, is we actually use a flowable resin material and it like just flows into all of those grooves. And then we use light and it shines on that and it sets it hard. It turns it hard. So what you're doing is you're just making it so plaque can't get in the grooves, if that makes sense. So that's what a sealant is. Two things to make sure of. Number one, that there isn't already a cavity in that tooth because there's so many of these molars that already have them. So we have a laser, a special laser called a diagnodent that we shine on the tooth and it tells us exactly, does this have a cavity or not? So that's the one thing, because if you put a sealant over a cavity, you've just given it a beautiful place to thrive because <laughs> now you can't brush it. You can't get hydroxyapatite to it. You've just made the situation worse. The second one is these, it's really, really important that these teeth are dry before that flowable material is flowed in there because it, it's, it's a material that will, that water re, will repel. So if there's any moisture on that tooth at all, then that sealant won't flow and it won't actually bind to the tooth. Well, what could be moisture in the mouth? called spit. So if the child is wiggling all around and they're doing this and their tongue's going everywhere, they're not getting a good sealant. I guarantee you that sealant is not really sealed. So the person putting it on has to be able to manage the saliva, the mouth, the tongue, and the child has to be able to sit still long enough and well enough to allow it to happen. So those are just two things to pay attention to with sealants, but they work great when they're on on the right tooth and they're sealed. Okay, great. Okay, um, next questions. I would love to hear about supplements that are important to get in our kiddos' diet, if there are any. And then I think along with that, we can um, touch on the fluoride topic again, because I think when people think supplements and dental health, that's probably one that perks up as something that we're supposed to do at the dentist. Yep. And this this goes along with nutrition. Um, it's Weston Price, and I think we may have talked about it. I don't remember if we talked about it last time, but Weston Price was a dentist who did a lot of research. And actually the reason he wanted to do research was because of kids' cavities. That was the reason he wanted to do it. And he found out that people, kids, adults, it doesn't matter, that ate more fat-soluble vitamins and minerals had better teeth. So that's just what we supplement. So fat-soluble vitamins, what are they? Vitamins A, D, E, and K. And the two that are really tricky to get from food are vitamin D3, and K2. So I recommend supplementing those to kids. You can get it in a liquid form. I have it on my website, a liquid form of this vitamin D3, K2. Kids are inside. Adults are inside. We're all inside. We live our lives inside, inside cars, inside houses. We're just not outside the way we used to be anymore. So we need to get that because sun's really about the only source of it. And we're just not getting the sun we need anymore. So D3 and K2 for sure. And then minerals. That one I talked about, the Mother Earth Labs, it's called The Gift. That one's a great one. There's other mineral supplements as well. Just for kiddos, I make sure that they actually want to, want to take them, <laughs> you know, because it yeah. doesn't work if they actually won't take it. So that's yeah. why this one has like very little taste. It, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to do. I have one on my site that you just do less dosage of it for a kid and you could put it in a yogurt, you know, but those are the two ones is the vitamin D and K and minerals. 
fluoride. Is that on the list? No, because fluoride is not in teeth. So you don't need fluoride to build a healthy tooth. You need hydroxyapatite. What's hydroxyapatite? It's a mineral complex. Calcium, phosphorus, it has a bunch of minerals together. That's why we deliver that in the tooth powder, in the mouth rinse now. That's what you need. And you made a comment I thought that was interesting. You said people said, well, it's in our water. It must be fine. Mm-hmm. I want you to think about that. Do you feel like everything that's in our environment is fine? Not necessarily. The reason, and, and I have a huge issue with it in the water. Here's my issue with it in the water. I'm drinking probably similar amounts than my teenage daughter, than maybe my, a younger you know, child may be. We're all adding it to our food. We're adding it to bottles that we're making with formula, the often fluorides in that. It's in a lot of canned foods. They're using fluoridated water to make the canned foods. It's in so many things. Well, what if I don't need the same dose as a five-year-old? I don't, right? I mean, is my body bigger than a five-year-old? Yeah, it's a lot bigger than a five-year-old. But my five-year-old's getting the same dose as I am. That's not okay. And so my very favorite example is, what if we just said, you know, everybody's a little too depressed. I think we should put Prozac in the water. And so now every bit of water that you get, whether it's in canned foods or anything else, and you're cooking and you're drinking, now everybody's getting the same amount of Prozac. Well, what if I'm already on Prozac? What if I'm already on Prozac? And honestly, a lot of people are already on fluoride. They have a fluoridated toothpaste. They have a fluoridated mouth rinse. They may be taking a supplement of fluoride. Well, now we've just forgotten that and just given everyone the same amount. So what if I'm already on Prozac and now I've double dosed? What if I don't need Prozac? I'm actually not depressed. And now I've been given a dose of something I don't need. And my child now is given the same dose that I have. Those are all three big issues I have with having fluoride in the water. It's completely non-dose dependent. Everybody's getting it, whether they need it or not. And they're all getting it in the same amount. It's not okay with me. It's a big (laughs) issue. And I know we talked about a lot on the last episode and, you know, it's a neurotoxin and you can say in small doses, it's fine. But like, what's a small dose to your point? What's a, what's a dose that's appropriate for me versus someone else? What is my DNA stacked for? Am I stacked for neurological challenges? So is fluoride more detrimental to me than maybe to someone who's not? These are questions that we've got to ask ourselves. Like you said at the beginning, these were things that you weren't taught in dental school. There's reasons behind that. People are welcome to do their own research as to why that is and what that is. And I will just say money plays a role, as sad as that is. But I think people are starting to understand that we have to be our own advocates when it comes to medical care for ourselves and our family. There's things that are recommended that we're now finding out are not great for everybody. The food pyramid is very much dictated by money. You know, eating nine to 11 servings of grain a day is not good for anybody. So, you know, these are topics that, again, I said this at the beginning, they might trigger certain people because of what they've been doing. But I encourage you, you're worth it. Your family's health is worth it do the research. We'll make it really easy. We'll link some stuff in the show notes, figure out what works for you. That being said, after we covered this topic in the last episode, there were questions like, okay, I just did a fluoride treatment for my family. What can I do now? Like, you know, we don't want to fear monger anybody, but I think with anything, like there's times when we get exposed to stuff that's not ideal. What can we do to help mitigate that so that nobody's freaking out and stressing out over toxins they put in their their children's bodies? And the good news is something like a one-time fluoride treatment is going to be something that's going to pass, you know, and hopefully most of that fluoride did get into the teeth. Hopefully it went where it was supposed to go. 
it's moving forward from here, you know, and it's really more about incremental dosing and daily dosing. So if you're daily dosing that fluoride, that's going to make a bigger difference than if you're getting it one, one time, you know, every six months at the dentist. I don't want it there either, but you know, it is what it is. And, and you can only move forward from what you know today. Yeah, perfect. And we're so capable of, you know, our body is such a great, um, efficient machine at detoxification. The reason, you know, I'm so glad that I learned about hydroxyapatite because it's like, you know, there is, there is an important, I'll call it like a headline, like fluoride strengthens teeth. We all want to strengthen our teeth. There's other questions that aren't asked within that statement, but hydroxyapatite also strengthens teeth. It's what teeth are made of. And so we can eliminate one while not worrying about, okay, if I'm getting rid of this, are my kids' teeth going to rot? Are they going to have cavities? I do think a lot of people that have eliminated fluoride without putting something in its place have had probably some dental issues and struggles. So thank you for making your tooth powder and product. I want to ask you one last question and then we'll wrap up. But uh, what do you feel about oil pulling as well? I know a lot of people have said that impacts their dental health. Is it beneficial for strengthening teeth, getting rid of biofilms, anything like that? So oil pulling is based a little bit on science. Um, every microbe, so whether that's a bacteria, virus, it doesn't matter what it is, every cell of ours is surrounded by a lipid layer. You know this, you know, if, basically a fatty layer. So when you put a fat to a fat, they will attract to one another. When you put oil in your mouth, typically people are using coconut or sesame oil as the most common oils for oil pulling. When you put oil in your mouth and you swish it, what you are doing is you're pulling microbes out from the nooks and crannies of everywhere in your mouth because that oil is attracting the fatty layer of the outside of the bugs. So it's bringing them all to the oil. So eventually what you have is you have a mouthful of oil full of bugs. So is that a good thing? The answer is yes, but not every single day for the rest of your life because it will, it's non-selective, meaning it's going to pull good bugs, bad bugs. It doesn't matter what it's going to pull. It's going to pull everything and everybody. We don't want it doing that. We don't want it pulling out all the good bugs as well. So I like it if you have gum disease. It's, it's particularly good for gums. Um, I like it for gum disease. I like it for anything. If you have mouth sores, that sort of thing at all, it's very good for that. It's good for breath, even because it's pulling the fungus off the tongue. Um, so I like it for that, but I will typically do it as a treatment dose, meaning three days in a row, and you put a tablespoon in your mouth and you swish it for 15 minutes. It sounds like an eternity and it feels like an eternity. I'll just let you know. So I always do this when I'm doing something else. I'm showering, I'm doing the dishes, you know, something else. You swish it around and then you spit it into a tissue. Why? Well, it's full of bugs, but it's also full of oil. And if you spit it down your drain, you're going to plug your, you're going to plug your drains really fast. So don't spit it down your drain. Um, you're going to throw it away, but I do it three days in a row. And then only about every three days after that, the okay. other option that you can do is my mouth rinse that I just made. The base of it is colloidal silver. You can just get colloidal silver if you don't want all the other stuff that's in this rinse as well. Colloidal silver has a very interesting, especially if it's the nano size of colloidal silver, meaning just a really small particle, it has an interesting effect where it is selective for bad bugs. So it doesn't just kill everything. It kills the bad ones. So I actually use that as a rinse instead of the oil pulling. It's very beneficial. We've added some other herbals and things into the rinse that are going to be beneficial for the gums as well. So anymore, I'm going to be recommending this even over oil pulling just because it's not, I don't have to worry about it taking out the bad, the good bugs too. Yeah. 
And does it have to be done in the morning? Because I feel like that's a limiting factor for some people. Like I didn't do it first thing in the morning, so I'm just not going to do it. No, do it anytime. It doesn't really matter. There just may be a higher percentage of bacteria living in the mouth in the morning before you get the food and everything, clearing it out. And now do it at nighttime, do it whenever. It's going to have a benefit no matter when you do it. And Ayurveda has done this for thousands of years. And they claim all sorts of things like uh, better gut biome, whiter teeth, all sorts of things when you're doing oil pulling. So I think it's a, it's very, um, it's very worth trying. Amazing. Gosh, so many incredible resources. Again, thank you. Uh, Weston Price, I'm so glad you brought him up. That's an incredible person to look into. His research on kids, their teeth, first foods. We followed his first foods for all of our babies. A really cool place to start, I think, if this is some new information for anybody. And then we're going to link so much stuff in the show notes. So guys, make sure you check out the links below. So excited to try your rinse. And by the time this episode airs, that's going to be out and ready. So that'll be below as well. Dr. Michelle, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Wow. So many incredible resources. I really hope you enjoyed that one. Be sure you tap into all the show notes. There are so many great places that you can go. Things that you now can access to help impact yours and your family's health. I would love to hear what you thought about this episode. So go ahead and leave a review and share that information. And then as always, go ahead and share this information with someone in your life that you know can benefit from it. Thank you. Wow. So many incredible tips and tools. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I just love picking Dr. Michelle's brain. She is such a wealth of information. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, go ahead and throw a like down below. I love hearing your comments and questions. That gives me ideas for future episodes. So go ahead and put those below as well. Make sure you also subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And of course, pass this along, share this information. There's definitely at least one other person that needs this in your life. Thank you.